Hi, I'm Tim Gillespie, and this is the Crosswalk Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. If you are one of our regular listeners, we are so glad you choose to journey with us, and we pray every single message inspires you and helps you to become the person God intended you to be, and of course, to love well. If you are already a giver, thank you so much. If this is something you have not yet done, I want to invite you to start doing that right now. Go to crosswalkvillage.com give and give a one-time gift, or even beyond that, become a recurring giver here at Crosswalk. And you can do that from wherever you're listening from. What is incredible about Crosswalk is that we have givers who don't live here in Southern California or near any of our other campuses, but support the work of Crosswalk from Southern California to the ends of the earth. Thank you for considering this. And now, listen to the message. My hope is you will allow Jesus to speak to you in a way that will change your life. What's happening, Crosswalk? Hey, good to see you all. I felt like the the camera wasn't chasing me close. Hey, welcome. Good to have you all here. Thanks for coming. 12 o'clock energy is special. Yeah, it's special. I will say this. I will say this. The 9 a.m. energy was pretty good this, pretty good today. They were kind of going for it, but there's just a lot more of you. Um, no, thank you, for, thank you for being here. Thank you for uh, being a part of what we're doing. Um, yeah, and if you're online and you're watching this, or if you know of somebody in the San Diego area that can get to Point Loma next Wednesday, we want to make sure that they have a chance to get there. So go to our website, sign up. We'll be sending some emails, but it's 7 o'clock at the Point Loma SDA Church, which is now Crosswalk Point Loma. So we have a, probably got to change that on Google or something. I don't know. Anyway, um, I'm glad you came. It's good to have you here. We're starting a new series called The Invitation as we've been talking about. And so I thought I'd talk to you a little bit this morning about the power of an invitation because because you've had an invitation in your life sometime that changed everything, right? Maybe it was maybe it was that person that you're sitting next to that asked you on a date 30 years ago. Right? And you said and you said yes. And think about it. Like all that the last 30 years it all stemmed from that one invitation right? Everything changed. Maybe it was an invitation to go on a trip, to go somewhere you'd never been before and you went and you fell in love with that place and that's where you decided to go back all the time or maybe that's where you decided to live. I mean, we live in the Inland Empire, so I'm pretty sure that didn't happen to any of us. But um, no, no, like an invitation, right? It changes everything. Maybe it was an invitation to have coffee with somebody you didn't know and now you have a friend for life. Maybe it was an invitation to go play golf, and now you're cursed with actually liking golf, <laughs> which I feel bad for. I mean, when you think about it, what was the best invitation that you ever received? Can you remember it? Was it a party? Maybe a membership to a group. You've been invited to come to this group or that group. Maybe you were invited to come to a job or something else. Maybe it was an acceptance letter to a school that you wanted to go to or a program where you could study. And the question is, did the invitation change you? Because I bet it did. It probably changed your status, probably changed your trajectory in the world. It maybe even changed your priorities. Did the invitation you receive open up a world that you might not have had access to? It's true. Invitations are powerful. Proverbs tells us that the tongue has the power of life and death. This is Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, 
right? Your words have the power to encourage or discourage someone. To, to let them in or to shut them out. To build or to destroy. Invitations are powerful. And scripture is full of invitations from God to us. And the first invitation is this, that you know your significance. You matter. You matter to God. You matter incredibly to God. It's his first invitation. In fact, he actually says this in Matthew 5, 13. He says, you are the light of the world. You're salt of the earth. And the truth is the world needs you to see and to have some flavor because that's what salt gives is flavor. My wife got, um, my wife got this, this box of um, hard-boiled eggs from Costco. I don't know if any of you have seen that. And she put them in a drawer and I just keep going there and I, it's like the magic drawer of hard-boiled eggs. There's just hard-boiled eggs every time I go there. It's amazing. I don't know how many we bought. It's crazy. But so I'll get ready to go to work and I'll grab it and you got to open it up. There's a little bit of uh, moisture down at the bottom of these things and you open it up, there's two eggs in it and you put a little salt on it and I take it out to my car, put it on the center console, drive to work. It's a great day. Um, when I forget the salt, that drive on the 215, is very dry, and I'm very angry, right? Because hard-boiled eggs without salt. I mean, the truth is what Scripture says, right? You are salt and light, right? It says you're light in the darkness. It took me a while to understand the light on my Apple Watch. So I've got this Apple Watch, and I don't know if you're like me, you wake up in the middle of the night sometimes and like go around the house for no good reason, then go back to bed. And um, so I'd get up and I'd kind of roll around the house. At some point I learned there is a flashlight on this thing that is pretty bright. So you hit, I don't know what buttons you push. I just push all the buttons until it shows up. But you, you, whatever you do, you do it. And then it, it like, it tricks you. It like gives you just a little light. And you're like, what good is this? And then it's like, and you're walking through the house like, it's great. Light really helps. <laughs> Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. This echoes the call of God in that we are light and we are called to illuminate the darkness that is out there. It's not our light. It's the light that God puts in you. But listen, if we're honest, we struggle with our significance, particularly when it comes to sharing Christ. We, we, let, we want to let somebody else do that. We think, I don't know enough. I haven't studied enough. I don't have a degree. Well, know this. From somebody who has studied quite a bit and who does have a degree, I feel that same struggle with significance. To share this God who loves me that much, like I don't even have the right words. In fact, why doesn't he just do it himself? Honestly, like why does God need us to share him in the first place? Can't he just let people know it? And he could, but weirdly enough, he chose you. You're his plan A in this. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back for God. God is doing this through us. Can you believe it? Are we really the best people he should use? Is this even a good idea? But listen, God used a donkey a really long time ago. So you are more than qualified. And then he says this, Matthew 16, 19. He says, um, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. 
Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Now, this is the New Living Translation. I don't love it. It's accurate, but I don't love it. I like the translation that says, whatever doors you lock on earth are locked in heaven. Whatever doors you open on earth are opened in heaven. If I decide not to tell someone, I'm locking a door, forbidding them entry. If I invite, that is unlocking a door and permitting them a knowledge of the love of Jesus Christ. And this text that tells us our significance says you're an ambassador, right? And I don't know a whole lot about ambassadorship, but I know this, not just everybody gets a call to be an ambassador, right? And the more important, the more significant you are, the bigger the country that you are an ambassador to. And you know why you only choose people of significance for that? You do it because that person represents the leader of the country in that other nation. And so it's gotta be somebody that the leader trusts. It's gotta be somebody that the leader can have speak for them. It's gotta be somebody who knows the leader well enough to know their heart. And so you've been called to ambassadorship. You've been called to be salt and light. All this means is that you are really important and significant to God. But that's not the only invitation. The second invitation from God is to know his compassion. We begin to trust God, not simply because somebody at one point invited us to know him, but because we felt the love of God that emanated through that person who asked us. We experienced God's compassion through someone who showed us God's compassion. Right? When you invite someone, they hear what is really behind your words. Have you ever written an email when you're really angry? Anybody here? Probably not. Probably never had that situation. Like you've written the email when you're really, hopefully you had the thoughts, you know, hopefully the Holy Spirit was with you or just a smarter spouse who was like, you shouldn't send that. <laughs> write it, don't send it. Just to be clear, if you want to be really careful, write it in notes. Don't write it in a draft because that's too easy to send on accident. Um, by accident, on accident. No, we, we are not in consensus here. You don't know. I have a degree in English. I do. I have a degree in English. No, I don't know. So, so. Anyway, somebody's, somebody's frantically Googling it right now. I just want to be right. Um, and this is why I love the 12. Because I don't have to look at my notes. Um, but... Here's the thing. If you sent that email, even if it was really, really like formal and professional, they would still hear your heart behind it. So when people experience God's compassion through you, they know the invitation is real because they feel it. They know your heart to be in line with the heart of God. So the truth is, when we know God's compassion for us, we show God's compassion to others. This is when the invitation really begins to take hold. They hear the invitation from God's heart coming through your heart right into their heart to know that they've been invited. So when I say invitations are important, I'm not underplaying that, but let me say it this way. Your invitation is really important. 
And just so you know, it might not be to study scripture. That's a pretty big ask, right? It might not even be to come to church, even though coming to church on Easter is kind of one of those easier things to do. And you may, you may be here today because somebody actually invited you in. Good for you. Thanks for coming. That's amazing. Right? But remember, sometimes people are nervous about God or the church or Christians. They may have spent time calling on God and never heard a response. They may have gone to church before and had a bad experience. They may have encountered Christians and found their hearts to be less than the heart of God. So sometimes the ask is just to go hang out, have coffee. It's not all this, but hopefully we get there. Here's the thing. The words of Jesus recognize this and actually speak to it. We're starting in Luke 18. We'll be studying Luke 18 through 24 in the series. It's a seven-week series. But um, we begin with Luke 18, verse 1. It says this, One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Which is really, it starts a little strange, right? We're hearing kind of the end piece, the moral of the story. Why, in fact, why should they pray and not give up? Many, just for the record, many of the people that we study with And maybe even you have experienced trying to pray, trying to reach to God and feeling like it just doesn't matter, like it falls on deaf ears or no ears at all. Anyway, Jesus continues. He says, there was a judge in a certain city who neither feared God nor cared about people. Auspicious beginning. This guy was a jerk and everybody seemed to know it. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. She kept on it repeatedly. She did it again and again and again and again. I believe the Greek is, is kind of an open-ended. She's just repeatedly, it just is, keeps happening. The judge ignored her for a while. But finally, he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, which is kind of a weird way to start. Um, it's just a reiteration that he doesn't, Right? But this woman is driving, she's driving me crazy. I'm going to see if she, I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. She's warmed down completely. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. What lesson can we learn from this? Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out, to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? So he likens himself to the judge, but in a type, anti-type argument, right? It's the judge is bad, God is good. That's the way it is. Somewhat opposite situation. He says, I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. And he says, but when the son of man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? How many will be persistent in continuing to cry out to God? How many will continue, even if they feel like their prayers aren't being heard? How many will continue to reach out to Jesus again and again? He wonders if people will stick around at all. And listen, I don't think this is a game of chicken that we're playing with God. Rather, it's an admonition to trust God and to continue to reach out to God. He actually makes it clear that he will hear those prayers. He will give justice to their cries. God hears our prayers, which may be the most obvious thing for a pastor to say in church. But I believe God actually hears your prayers. He indicates that he hears them and he will respond. Here's the problem, I think, sometimes. When we don't hear the response we're looking for, we think God didn't answer our prayer. When it doesn't show up the way we think it's going to show up, 
we just think, well, God must not be listening. I was in an argument with a guy one time, and he was really frustrated with me. And uh, we were going back and forth. And um, to the point where I was like, I'm done with this. And I left, and he followed me to my office. That was fun. So I sit down behind my desk, and he's like, hey, man, I just don't think you're hearing me. And I said, hey, man, I hear you. I just disagree. And he goes, oh, okay. I was like, what? He's like, I really, I just didn't think you could understand what I was saying. And I was like, no, I understand. No. And he's like, yeah, that's all I needed. It was a weird conversation. Right? Sometimes we don't think God is listening because we don't get the response that we want or that we understand. This is why we admonish you to get into scripture every single day, to spend time abiding with God, right? Because sometimes abiding with God means that you shut up just enough to hear what he has to say to you, right? So sometimes in that admonition to God, that admonition, that praying to God, it's letting God get a word in edgewise. That's pretty important. Okay, so if somebody's been crying out to God and they don't hear him, they gotta just keep, you gotta just keep on. But what about if someone had a hard time in church? Did Jesus speak to that as well? He did. In fact, he did in the next verse. If someone has been to church and met the pious and the righteous or self-righteous, it's clear they could have been really turned off. But in the very next verse, Jesus shows us something that helps with this a little bit. Then Jesus told the story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Jesus is telling the story to church people, people who thought they had figured it out and thought everyone else was maybe not worth quite as much as they were. I hope this doesn't happen in church here because grace should teach us humility rather than arrogance, but I don't know if that's always true. Anyway, the story goes on like this. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector. Here's the juxtaposition. One who knows the law and keeps the law. One who probably knows it, but does not live by it. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank God that I am not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers, that dude. This this is the worst, right? This would be me standing up and being like, God, I am so thankful that I'm not like those people or those people or Joe. Is there a Joe who's over there? Because if so, like, I can't see you. I didn't know that was a, a divine appointment. No, I don't know. No, that's, that, how horrible would that be? That's just horrible, right? And then he, goes, and then he goes on. He's like, I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income, fasting, tithing, saying it out loud. By the way, last week, We studied what God said about these people. He's like, listen, when you fast, don't tell anybody. Brush your teeth, wash your hair, you know, wash your face so that nobody knows that you're fasting at all so that only God will know and your reward will be in heaven. That's what it said last week. So the Pharisee's clearly not listening. But the tax collector, different. He stood at a distance, right? Dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat on his chest He was in sorrow, saying, oh God, be merciful for me, for I'm a sinner. See, the tax collector knew something that the the Pharisee didn't. He knew he was a sinner. He knew there was a gap between himself and the righteousness of God. 
And he knew that that gap wasn't something that he could bridge himself. You see, the Pharisee thought that by keeping the law, he could continually build that bridge a little closer to God and eventually get there on the work that he had done himself. And he wanted to make sure everybody knew that's where he was. And then Jesus says, I tell you this, the sinner, not the Pharisee, return home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus wraps this up really succinctly. Why would the sinner be justified before God and not the Pharisee? Simple. He recognized his need. He knew he needed God. The Pharisee seemed to believe he had worked everything out. We can only begin to accept the invitation that God has for us when we realize that we really actually need it. When we realize that there is a lack. Listen, we speak of a God-shaped hole in people's lives, but for some of us, it's a vast sucking vacuum in our lives that has to be filled by God. You're sitting here. When did you realize that you needed God? And there, the story is important because in recognizing our need for God, we begin to admonish God in our prayers and, and become consistent and persistent at it. We're to pray unceasingly that God would hear us and he will. Now, there's the next few stories in this journey. I won't read them, but the stories are um, the story of the little children trying to get to Jesus and the disciples kind of trying to herd them away. And Jesus says, and I hate this translation, but he says, suffer the little children unto me. It sounds bad. He just says, come on, let them hang out. It's fine, right? And what I love about that story is that even though the children probably didn't know they needed Jesus, they just knew they wanted to hang out with Jesus. Always trust the intuition of a child. When a kid doesn't like somebody, like for no seeming reason, pay attention, right? But the kids love Jesus. They just wanted to be with him. Then the other story that we'll skip over is the story of the rich man who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to gain eternal life? And Jesus lays it out. Do this, do that, do this, do that, do this. And he's like, oh, I do all of them. That's great. And Jesus goes, ah, one more thing. You got to get rid of all your money and uh, give it to the poor. And it says the man walked away sadly. Now, I don't believe that this was a admonition against people being wealthy. I think this was a warning when we don't put things in the right place in our lives, right? When we don't, when we put something over the kingdom of God in our lives. But then we come to this last story, Luke 18, 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. Now, this is the last stop before they made the uphill journey to Jerusalem. If you've ever been to Jericho, it's an oasis. It's actually quite beautiful. Um, and so as he was going into the city, he sees this blind beggar. When he heard the noise of the crowd going past, he asked what was happening. The beggar had attuned himself to what was going on around him like you do. They told him that Jesus, the Nazarene, was going by. So what did he do? He began shouting, right? Immediately, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He knew this was his chance, so he started shouting. Of course, the people around him, be quiet. They're yelling at him. Stop it, man. But he only shouted louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. He was persistent. He was consistent. He wasn't going to let God not hear him. These people were not interested in him yelling. They didn't think he should have access to Jesus, probably because he wasn't whole. But when Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. 
This is such a great interaction because it's so simple. Jesus says, what do you need? And he says, I just want to see because that's the problem I'm having. Simple question, simple answer. And Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Jesus acquiesces because the man recognized what he needed. He needed the healing power of Jesus. Instantly, says scripture, the man could see. And he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it praised God too. And I love that because the ones who are praising God too were the ones who were like, hey man, shut up. Now they're like, woo. So like, that's a good turnaround. Right? Jesus invited the man into healing and everything changed. This whole thing starts with recognizing what you need. And have you recognized what you need? That you need a savior? You need a God who loves you so terribly much that he was willing to come and die for you? That he was willing to give his life for you so that you might live? When you pray, when you are invited into the ambassadorship that Jesus has for you, do you remember that this is all of grace that you've been invited? And how can you be an invitation for someone else? See, there's a pretty fascinating thing that's happening. There's someone over here who has recognized that God-shaped hole in their life. And by the way, that is grace. We call it the provenience of grace, grace before grace. God helping you recognize that there is something that you lack and that you need God. And so there are people over here who are recognizing that they have a need for God. And so they're crying out. And sometimes they're crying out to God. And sometimes they're just crying out to the universe. They're not really sure who they're talking to. But they know life could be better than this. Life could be different, more fulfilling. I could have something more than I have right now. How come I don't have it? And then there's somebody over here, maybe you, who's been praying, Lord, let me be an invitation to someone. And out of like seven and a half billion people on the planet, the Holy Spirit is working to bring you two together. Unbeknownst to one another. And here's what's crazy. It might be somebody that you see every single day. Somebody that you think has it all together. Somebody that you think has no interest in God or church or faith or any of it. The Holy Spirit's been working on their heart. And the Holy Spirit's been working on your heart to bring you both together at just the right time so you can be the invitation for someone else and for that person. Think about the logistics of this. Think about the statistical impossibility that someone at just the right time, probably you, says, would you like to at just the right time where that person's heart is open and that person says, yes, I've been waiting for somebody to ask me. I just didn't know what the next step was. We talk about miracles. We talk about people being healing, healed from being blind. But I bet statistically, the fact that somebody just remarkably becomes unblind, unblind, is that a word? They, be, they stop being blind. Statistically, that's probably less than you meeting that other person at just the right time and saying just the right word that they might open their heart and receive who God is. You understand that, right? What you've been called into is a statistical impossibility. It just has to be a miracle. And so as you think about the needs that you have, knowing that you've been invited into this life with Christ, knowing that God has asked you to partner with him in the great co-mission to be an invitation for someone else, you get that chance. 
And it's incredible. It doesn't just change their life. It changes yours. And here's the thing. Then comes the hard part, right? What am I supposed to say? I got to tell this person about Jesus. I don't know that I know that much about Jesus. Well, you do know what you've witnessed. You do know what you've witnessed, the goodness and the greatness of God. You do know when you've been in worship and you felt his presence. When you felt someone who believes in Jesus and believes that they should do more, reach out to someone who needs help. You have witnessed the goodness and greatness of God. And that's all we're asking you to share. We're not asking you to share a faith that you don't live. We're not asking you to share this perfect reality that life is now great and perfect and I've got no problems now since I've accepted Jesus. I've got some apostles who would like to talk to you. Their life did not get better because they followed Jesus. It just became whole because they followed Jesus. We're not gonna tell people that you'll never have financial problems, that you'll never have, you know, familial problems, that everything is gonna be perfect, your job now, you'll just get promotion after promotion because you become a Christian. We're not gonna say that. What we're gonna say is, I found a love like no other. And sometimes I don't even understand it. Sometimes I don't even appreciate it. And sometimes I don't even believe it. I struggle with doubt because I'm human and I don't always know exactly how to believe, but sometimes the songs that we sing or the community that I'm in or just the God that I love carries me through that doubt. We're gonna say, I don't have an answer for that, but if we can sit down and study God's word together, maybe God will show us the answer to your question because I have that same question that you do. We're just gonna speak to what we've witnessed and we're gonna just keep doing it because we wanna be like that widow who was persistent with that unjust judge or that beggar who kept crying out to Jesus so he would recognize him. We wanna be like that tax collector who stood the back of the room beating his chest saying, I just know that I need you because you're so far away and I can't build the bridge of righteousness myself. I'm gonna need you to come build that righteousness for me. That's what we're asking you to do. And if you're here today because somebody invited you, you're home. Get used to it. Like the coffee's free, the people are great, music's awesome. Pastor speaks too long at noon. But hey, just thank you for being here. And thank you for being willing to be an invitation to those that you will bring. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord of grace, we are just so thankful and grateful for you. Lord, we want to speak to what we've witnessed, and we ask that you will continue to show us your love, your mercy, your compassion, your justice, and your hope. Lord, I don't know if it was a good bet to ask us to be your ambassadors. We could really mess this up, but we're going to tell the truth, we're going to be honest, and we're going to show people's compassion. Show people compassion, the compassion that you gave to us. So we ask this in your name today, Lord. Accept our prayer, accept our worship, and let us continue to witness your goodness and your greatness. In your name I pray, amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.